um, every, you know, our theme this year is brave, be you bravely. And so we've tried to take each month, last year was being brave with your budget. And uh, this month we've decided to be fearless parents, to be a fearless mom. And we are just so gifted to have somebody that used to come to this church body. Uh, Sari Dolance will be our speaker today. She has five children and one grandchild. She um, has spoken at different retreats that I know of, a couple for the chapel. Um, she's just a dear friend and a dear lady. I know you'll love her. She's been a great example for me on how to parent. Um, whenever Sari would serve anywhere, she would have her five little, kind of like little ducklings following behind her. And we are blessed to have two of them at, our, at my table today. Lydia and Montana came along with her. And I think this is our furthest speaker we've ever had. She's come from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, she traveled last night and got in around midnight. So, well, help me welcome Sari to our group today. Good morning. Actually, it was 1 o'clock our time when we got in last night. <laughs> Montana and Lydia were like, okay, I so want that bed. And my parents live in Carbondale, and we passed that exit. It was like, maybe we just spend the night there. But we're staying at Tim and Marilyn Singleton's, and that is like a safe haven for us. And we were really going to go that extra hour just to spend time with them. But um, anyway, we left in snow. Traveled a little bit in snow in uh, Illinois, but it was more like black ice. And I tell you what, I really felt like God protected us uh, coming uh, because just before we got to the black ice, um, I was on cruise control because I thought I had uh, dry pavement and I saw all these lights. And so I took it off the cruise control and went to hit my brakes and the car went woo like that. And all these cars were off the edge. And then 10 minutes later, uh, we were in traffic jam that was going two miles an hour. And of course, we're wanting to get here. And I'm going, oh, Lord, can you just like scoot everybody out of the way so we could keep on going? But there was a major accident. They rooted us off the highway and got us back on. And then it was good the rest of the way. But that took us about 30 minutes to get past that. But I really felt like God's hand was on us in that. A um, little different weather between Missouri and Michigan. First of all, you guys are 18 degrees here, and we're in a heat wave at 25 degrees this morning in Kalamazoo. But we have 10 inches of snow now, my husband said. But here, when it snows, everything stops. In Kalamazoo, if it's a tornado watch, everything stops. I have arrived at meetings going, well, where is everybody? And everybody closes the doors and goes home. Well, here, everything goes on. And even in a warning, sometimes things are going on. So, <laughs> so we've learned to adapt to weather. But um, so anyway, I started in MOPS when I had my first child in Indiana. And uh, then I went to Greensboro, North Carolina, and continued with MOPS there. Then we came here, and we continued with MOPS here. And, uh, and then in Missouri, or in Michigan, uh, I continued as a mentor mom, because I, I grew up here. I went from MOPS to being a mentor mom here, and then continued to be a mentor mom in Michigan. And I've spoken around to uh, different MOPS groups as well, but here, 
is a special place for us because um, this is kind of our home with MOPS. Our, my oldest daughter, Abigail, had her first leadership job at 11 years old here in Moppets. She was the lead teacher for two-year-olds. I'm sure that's against the rules now. <laughs> but, but in the birthdays of Mops here, that worked. Um, and uh, do your kids ever get on a train of thought that you're not on yet? And you're trying to figure out where is this conversation going? One day, Montana, when she was three years old, said, Mom, are we going to that sweeping place? Like, what sweeping place, honey? Well, you know, the sweeping place. No, I'm not getting you there, honey. She's like, you know where all the ladies are? Oh, you mean mops? Yeah, the sweeping place. It's like, gotcha. Well, not today, honey, but we will be. <laughs> so not only is Cape Bible Chapel special, but you all are special, too, and I'm really glad to be here with you. Um, when we walked into the gym just a little while ago, Lydia said, Oh, I remember this. We were standing right here going, goodbye, you guys. It was one of the most miserable Sundays of our life. Dale was still in Michigan, and we were saying goodbye to all these people that we dearly loved and broke our heart. But we have mended our hearts. Glad to be here, but we are also glad to be in Michigan, too. Well, Dale and I got married in 1985, and I naively thought that I would be pregnant just like that. Get pregnant, then I could drop out of college and, you know, life is a mom. Well, that didn't happen. It didn't happen for five years. And, uh, you know, everybody would say, oh, you're young. And I really wanted to say, I know how young I am. Just shut up. I want to be pregnant. And one time when I thought I was pregnant, I looked at Dale and I said, I am not taking one more pregnancy test. I just can't do it. But he wanted me to do it, and so he went to Walgreens, he got it, came home, I took it. It was positive. I then proceeded to step into the shower and cried. It's like, God, this is stinking timing. I'm not ready. <laughs> I mean, how ridiculous is that? We were moving out of the state that we knew I was going to lose my support system. It's like, how am I going to do this? And I was scared to death. And then for nine months, I thought I was carrying a boy, and out pops Abigail. <laughs> well, then I panicked because growing up, I didn't have girlfriends. I had guy friends. I knew how to do boys. How am I going to do a girl? I'm going to screw this relationship up. And then, less than a year and a half later, I got pregnant again. Oh, my gosh, I can't even do one. How am I going to do two? I'm never going to take a shower. We'll never eat. They all traveled. And literally, I'm holding on to his ankle going, please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. We'll never survive. We may not be here when you get back. <laughs> Somehow, life goes on. But, you know, when I was thinking about the topic of fearless parenting, seriously, is there such a thing as fearless parenting? I don't know. Maybe some of you are better than I am and can overcome fear. But I grew up as a scared little girl. I entered marriage as a scared wife. I entered motherhood as a scared woman in mothering. And really, that feeling has never gone away, but I've learned what to do with that feeling. And um, 
I teaching at MOPS, I've taught on like, here I taught how to serve with your children. At other places I've taught on tradition, I've taught nutrition, you know, and I can come, here's a list. You can go from the list. Here's a calendar of food you can do with your kids all year long, and uh, here's great traditions you can start with your kids, and here's great service projects. Fearless parenting, where's the list? Seriously. And so today's teaching's a little different. And now if I can find where I am in my notes. Um, when you think about being afraid as a mom, first of all, I've talked to moms and they're like, I did not have a good mom. I didn't even come from a good house. Can I even do this? Can I even raise my kids to be healthy kids? When I think about myself, I wondered if my kids would even like me. Could I have a relationship? Would I screw up the relationship with my kids? Would my kids be liked? Would my kids be successful? Would people, would they be kind to people? Would they look out for people? Would they con be concerned about their hearts? All those were fears of mine, and they have been fears, even as a mom, as I've gone through the years. When my kids would do something, it's like, Lord, now what are we going to do? I mean, how do we fix this? Um, <laughs> we had a kid that um, liked to eat candy and gum wherever we were. And that was usually, you know, in the potted plants of the store that somebody had thrown in a chewed piece of gum. And I would panic. Well, we were at the park one day. And there was this nice cup with a straw in it, with a drink. And before I could act, that kid was already sucking that down. <laughs> and my husband was with me. It's like, honey, that person's going to be at a party at college one day. And somebody's going to hand them the drink. And they're going to drink it. He's like, Sari, calm down. It's not that bad. That, that is the panicked mom I was at that point. Now, your mentor moms and me, when we get to our age, we're thinking, okay, we don't have an energy to have a kid right now, but this would be a really good time to mother because we're a whole lot better at mothering now. But God somehow knows that you all, panicked mothers, he's giving you this child to raise, and he's going to raise beautiful children through you, even in the midst of the fear that you rage, wage. As I thought about how I grounded myself in my fear and was able to parent through the fear without overreacting to every situation, I thought about Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future and not to harm you. That, um, that is a common verse that church people use. And if you haven't heard it before, trust me, you'll hear it again somewhere along the line. But every parent desires that their kid has a hope and a future, that nothing will harm them, that they will prosper. I'm going to give you a little background on this verse and what God did for me just a couple of years ago when I was teaching this verse for another group of women. The Old Testament in the Bible is written in Hebrew. The New Testament in the Bible is written in Greek. Jeremiah is found in uh, the Old Testament, and so it's written in Hebrew. That word hope in Jeremiah 29, 11 is a Hebrew word that means expectant, 
expectant or expected hope. But it also means cord, like a rope, like this. Actually, a little bigger, I think, but this is what I found at Hobby Lobby. Um, but anyway, that uh, word for hope is used 32 times in the Old Testament as hope. But as a cord, it's used only twice in the Bible, and it's used in Joshua 2 with a woman named Rahab. And uh, the, I'm going to tell you the story about Rahab, but to give you a little background on Rahab and the story of Rahab, it comes after the first five books of the Bible. And in those first five books, the story of the start of the nation of Israel, and particularly about how Moses went to Egypt, he took the Israelites out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea on dry land, entered the area of Saudi Arabia, and then they headed into the place that we know as Israel today. Moses sent in 10 spies, or I'm sorry, 12 spies, into the land, and they all came back. 10 said, oh my gosh, it's a beautiful place, but the people are giants, they're crushes like bugs. The other two said, oh, but trust God. He's going to conquer those people for us. Well, two million people trusted the ten spies that said they'd crush us like bugs. And so then God had them wander and camp in Saudi Arabia for 40 years. So now we're at Joshua. Moses has died, and God has made Joshua the leader of Israel. And he has now taken them to the place that we know as Israel, and he sends in two spies this time. And he says, scope out the land so we know what we're up against, but especially look at this city called Jericho. And so these two spies end up at the house of Rahab. Well, when the king of Jericho hear that this, uh, these spies are at Rahab's house, he goes there and he says, hey, I want those two spies. And she said, well, when it got dark, those spies went that way. And then the gates were closed. But you could send your men that away, and maybe you'll find them. But she really had hid the spies on the roof of her house. And so she says to the guys, we know that your God has given this whole land to you. In fact, all the people of the land are so terrified of this God that works for you, that dries up land that you can cross over and works these mighty wonders for you, we know that he's given you this land, and we are terrified. She said, because I have saved your life, can you give me some kind of symbol that shows that you will save my family and me from the sure disaster that's going to come? The men said, yes, we will give you a sign, but you have to make sure your whole family is in your household, and don't tell anyone what we're up to. So before she let them out the rope through her window on the city wall, they gave her a red cord to tie in her window. When the army came, Joshua, who had been told by the spies of this deal, told the army to go in, get Rahab and her family, and save them. And they did. When Rahab tied this to her window, it was with an expectant hope that she and her family were going to be saved. That's what we do when we ask God for anything. We are tying this 
to our request saying, God, I have no clue how you're going to accomplish this. But with an expectant hope, I'm trusting you to come through and save me. There are a couple of things that I want you to hear and know about fear. First of all, fear is not wrong. I think sometimes, kind of like anger, we want to carpamentalize it and go, I cannot have this feeling, otherwise it's wrong. I don't believe fear is wrong because fear motivates you to go do something. Kind of like when you walk into a dark room and you go, ooh, well you turn the light on. That proves nobody's in there. It allows you to see the furniture. It allows you to move freely in the room. If you walk into a dangerous situation and fear grips you, well then you are heading the other direction or you're altering your route or you're calling for help. So as even as a parent, when you feel fear, that's going to motivate you to do something. It will motivate you to search out more information. It'll motivate you to ask somebody to come alongside you to help you. It'll even motivate you to read the Bible or memorize the verse. Oops, sorry. In Second um, Timothy 1.7, it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. That's something you can hold on to as a promise. God, this fear is not from you, but you have given me the power and the love to get beyond this and a sound mind to think your thoughts, to think clear thoughts, to proceed with clarity and wisdom. Proverbs 12.25 Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. We need each other. We need to come alongside each other. We even need to ask for help. So when fear grips you, you're not the only one that fears. Sometimes even the friend that comes alongside you may be even struggling with that same fear. And you guys can support each other. You can find help together. You can pray together. So don't feel like it's all by yourself. You've got somebody that can help you. Second, you are going to make mistakes. That's just a given we all do. Excuse me. There are so many times that you're going to wish that you could go back and do it again. But you know what? God's going to use those things even in your kid's life for good because he will take those and mold them into something good for those kids that they will be able to adapt into other situations. So your imperfections now are even going to be good for your kids later on. Sometimes it's going to be working with somebody just like you, and they're going to go, oh, I know how to deal with you because my mom was just like you. And other times it'll be to speak into somebody else's life going, you know what, my mom struggled with that too, or my mom did this, and this is what she did that worked for her. So in your imperfections, God will still use them. But I encourage you to live authentically, because when you screw up, it's not a secret, especially from your kids. Your kids are so going to know you just screwed up. So be honest with them. Tell them that you realize you screwed up, because there is freedom in that. They will trust you more 
when you call them out on their messes and their screw-ups because you're willing to admit yours. In fact, even I encourage you to ask your kids to pray over you. Pray for you that they would have a mother that blesses them, that speaks kindly to them, that speaks softly to them. In fact, um, just to be honest, uh, as I would be yelling at my kids not to yell at each other, boy, if God couldn't just use that. In fact, I was a yelling mom. I would so often go, God, I do not want to be a yelling mom. I'd look at all these, well, honey, let's go sit in the corner. And I'm going, would you get over in that corner right now? And I wanted to be that soft-spoken mom, but God's sense of humor, when we were in Greensboro, North Carolina, we lived in a house that literally was like six feet from the other house. And I was on one of my yelling sprees, and uh, we knew we were moving here, and we were gonna be living in this house off the circle of the subdivision, way up on this hill, away from everybody else, and quite literally, this is how immature I was at this time, um, I was thinking, I cannot wait to get out to that country because then I can just yell freely at my kids and not worry about what the neighbors are thinking. I know God was just chuckling away because when we moved here, at a whisper on this top of the hill, you could hear the conversation across the way. It's like, seriously, Lord? Okay, I know I asked to stop yelling, but I wasn't really that serious because you know there's some freedom in yelling. But when Lydia was born here in uh, Cape Girardeau, I held her, and I looked at my oldest daughter, and I said, she's not going to know a yelling mom. And I don't think you have. Not like the others have. (laughs) In fact, when Montana and Lydia will go, Mom, you're yelling, I'm thinking, oh, girls, you have no clue. (laughs) But I was honest with my kids, too. It's like, guys, I do not want to do this. So don't do things that make me do this. No, (laughs) just kidding. I would have them pray that I would use soft voices, that I would use kind words, life-building words. And so encourage your kids to hold yourself accountable too. Just don't hold them accountable if you're not willing to be held accountable to things. Okay, third, God made no mistake in putting you as their mother at this point in time. I think so often we can look at everybody else and go, if I was just a mom like her, my kids could look like her kids. (laughs) And we think everybody else has it together. But you know what? God has called your kids to something really important. And he has made you their mom to design them for that really important task. And nobody else can do it like you can do it. In Acts 17, 26, 27, it's one of my all-time favorite verses because, you know, sometimes we look at things and we go, if I was only there, or if I was only born in this time, if my husband would have only been such and such, um, we would think life would be different. But God had a purpose. In 17, it says, from one man, meaning Adam, he created every nation that should inhabit the, nation, the earth. And he, being God, determined the exact times set for them and the exact places for them to live. God did this so that they should, that, sorry, God did this that they would seek him and perhaps find him. 
even though he's not that far away from any of us. That is a huge promise to all of us. I don't care how you got to Cape Girardeau, but he put you here for such a time as this. He put your kids in your household to be their mother, and it is a good thing. He has designed you for them, bents and all, messes and all, just for them, because he has a reason for that. So trust him. Pick your battles. When you feel overwhelmed with fear, pick the battles that you think are most important. Don't try to tackle every character flaw on your kids because you think you've only got 18 years to get them cleaned out of them. Just pick them one at a time and know which ones that need to build on each other. I thought I had this uh, kind of, you know, pridefully under control. And when we were in, or when we moved to Michigan one day, my son Jeremy and our youth pastor uh, were going around to the houses of the kids and asking them questions like, okay, what's the, the best thing your parent ever said? What's the stupidest thing your parent ever said? Um, what's the thing you wish they'd never say? And what's the thing that makes, the, makes you really irritated when they say? Well, they ended up at our house. And so all five kids are in the living room. And Darren is videotaping my kids. And he's asking the questions now to my kids. My kids, all except for one, are introverts. So to try to get them to talk is, you know, it's, it's silence. And so they're asking, he's asking these questions, silence. Asking another one, silence. Asking another one, silence. He's like on the sixth one. And it's the one, what does your parents say that irritates you? All five of them simultaneously say, get over it. <laughs> and that, that was mine. That wasn't Dale, that was mine. And I'm thinking, great, they're all going to be therapy. <laughs> and I kind of wrestled with that for the next couple of days. It's like, Lord, I mean, should I change the tactic? I mean, my, my heart wasn't bad on that. And finally, I rounded them all up. Because God actually did give me a verse for that one. But, um, and then my son goes, great, she's going to say it all the more. But I told them, I said, guys, it's really not that I don't care. It's just that when you bring me things that bug you, things that you ir are irritated, irritating with each other, I say get over it because I know if you can get over it now, then you're going to be healthier adults because then you won't be over reacting to situations. You won't overreact to people in those situations. So I really have an ulterior motive. Maybe it's not the way you'll be parenting, but this is just the way I'm doing it. So you won't always feel like it's the right decision to do, but if God gives it to you to do, then I'd say go with it, even if it looks foolish to everybody else. So, when fear wants to creep up and overtake your circumstances, remember, fear isn't wrong, but take a moment or two to think it through. Is there a different way you can approach it? Do you need to ask more questions? Do you need to ask somebody to come in and join you in that? Don't be frustrated when you blow it. You will, like we all do. But ask God to help you with those messes, things that irritate you that you wish you wouldn't do, the things that you wish you wouldn't overreact to. Submit it to God. 
Ask your kids to help you so that you can help, help each other and be a team in that. I was often telling my kids, okay guys, I know I'm not the best example of this, but let's work together and hold each other accountable and catch each other when we need to. And then remember that God has made you your kid's mom. You are the best choice for raising your children. But he knows what your future kid, or the future that your kids are going to have. And so you can, with that expectant hope, trust him with that. When you hang your expectant hope in your window, you're praying and you're asking God for those things that you think are important for you and for your kids, and you can trust him to save you from disaster. So here is what we know about the rest of Rahab's story. She hung the red cord, and her family was saved. She became the mom of somebody by the name of Boaz, who then married Ruth. And then, in just four generations after Rahab, she's the great-great-grandmother of King David, who's the king of Israel. David uh, faced many fears as a boy. One story that we seem to kind of lock in on is David and Goliath. And uh, he approached Goliath just the way Rahab did with the spies. As she believed that God had given the land to the Israelites, David believed that just as God had saved him from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, that he would save him from the hand of Goliath. And God did. David ended up writing many of the Psalms in the Bible. And uh, Rahab's only four women that's uh, mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. So you have Rahab hanging this cord, and then all the way through, she becomes, her family is in the line that brings God's one and only son, Jesus, into the world. God can do that type of thing in your life as you trust him. If you read the rest of Rahab's family story, though, you realize that they were far from perfect. In fact, sometimes you wonder why God even used any of them. But God did. He chose to bless them, and he used them for his good purpose. And God will still use you and your kids for that as well. So, this girl that I thought I would panic, or I did panic, and thought I'd never have a good relationship with her, she was a friend of mine all through her childhood. In fact, my favorite times with Abigail as a friend was in her high school and her college years. She would sit on my bed almost daily, download for an hour or more, and we would share life together. We still do. We call each other often. She's about an hour from us. And she's a mom now, and she's a better mom than I am. She uses some of the same things I do, but she's still way beyond me. Our sons look out for people. They look, the way, they look where they can serve, and they care about people. Montana and Lydia, who are with me today, out of the five, have struggled with fear the most. In fact, the last couple of years, God has asked them to step out of their comfort zone. That fear that they had was paralyzing. Sometimes I could not even push them out of comfort zones. But because they've seen God work, they are now stepping out, knees knocking, mind you, stepping out and trying things out for the Lord. 
However, I could give you a whole list of character flaws in all my children that either break my heart or make me mad. And they have all done things that have broken my heart and brought me to my knees before the Lord. And so they aren't perfect, but God is doing good things in them, and he's doing good things through them. And so with an expectant hope, that's what I'm praying for, and that's what you can pray for. Through the years, my mom has often looked at me and said, Sarah, you're such a better parent than I was. And I could honestly say yes, but I want my kids to be better parents than I am because her ceiling was my floor. My ceiling, I want to be my kid's floor. Their ceiling, I want to be my grandkids' floor. I want us to be better than this generation was. You will not be perfect, but the God who is perfect knows the whole picture and how you and your kids fit into it. And he is the one to be trusted with an expectant hope. To take home today, my girls are going to put on the tables for you guys. Um, you can take it or you don't have to. There's no thing, uh, no real right thing. But here's a cord. Uh, if you want to put it somewhere to remind you that you do have an expectant hope that you can hold on to. Um, and then there's this one. It's just a prayer. You know, sometimes when you're in the middle of a crisis, need one more? Well, there should be enough, I think, so you can spread them out. Um, anyway, uh, in, when you're in the middle of a crisis, it is just hard to even think of the right verse that you want to do. It's hard to even think up the right prayer. In fact, sometimes when I'm in the middle of the crisis, all I can say is, oh, Jesus. And so here is a card you could put in your purse, you could put it on your bathroom mirror, but it's just a prayer written out that you could uh, just pray out if you needed to. So anyway, thank you very much. That was, that was awesome. That was some great words of wisdom and advice for us.